This is Strange Assembly episode 205, 2016 wrap-up. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com or at the usual social media sites, facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. I'm your host, Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Jay Earl. Hello. Hey, Jay. So I've eliminated any effort at wit or humor from the episode title, so it you know, I can remember what episodes are what, so you need to be on, on extra humor and wit duty today for me, okay? Uh, I think you've hired the wrong person. Uh-oh. Also, hired? Do I pay you? I can provide you some beatbox for when you rap later. Oh, <laughs> uh, the wit and wisdom of J.R.O., ladies and gentlemen. So this, as you can tell from the title, is our uh, 2016 end-of-the-year episode. This is most significantly, I guess, quote-unquote significantly, where we give out our Game of the Year awards. Ooh. Ooh, yes, I know. The, the coveted by absolutely no one. The highly desirable. Hey, I believe that Stonemeyer Games is aware of links on their website to us giving them a preliminary Game of the Year award. And let's face it, Bonacor is such a publicity hound that he will link to anything. So, <laughs> so what we do for these, like we have Jay and I on here, and Jay and I are going to talk about our top games. And then we're going to have a, a Game of the Year thing, and that is, that may or may not sync up terribly well with what Jay and I say, because that, we, we do vote in that, but there are, or more people that, that vote in that than just Jay and I. So we have a what we call a prelim, preliminary game of the year, and then we have an actual game of the year. And, and what we do is at the end of a given year, we vote on the best game of the year so far, from what we've played, from what our experience then is. But the, the fact is that at the end of a calendar year, you cannot possibly, I mean, maybe unless you're Tom Vassell, have played everything of quality, or, or even of just not, you just, it's not a high enough percentage to really make it a good time to actually pick things. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're here 2016, end of 2016, there's still games from 2015 that are really good that I've not had a chance to play, and I feel kind of bad about, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, but you you know right as time goes on it passes, but within a given calendar year it's especially hard because there's an awful lot of stuff that is aimed for an initial release at Gen Con or an initial release at Essen. E- even worse for us, right? I mean we can go yeah. to Gen Con, we might get it there. That's more likely to hit wide release immediately or in the U.S. to hit wide release immediately or by the end of the year. Stuff from Essen, you know, it, if it premieres at Essen, it might, some of it trickles out, some of it gets there right away, but some of it doesn't get an English language version until the following year. So, there's, there's just a lot that, a lot that by the end of one year hasn't been played. Although I, I, I have to say I am, I am happy with my list from 2016. At least it's, it's not a list where I feel like I have really stretched. Surely by the time I get to the end of 2017, 
you know, things will have gotten knocked off of it. When we do our real, I guess, final Game of the Year <laughs> award, well, I mean, right, I... Conclusive. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Jay. My personal opinions may continue to change over the years about what I think about particular games from a particular year, but the award, <laughs> we right, we don't go back and revisit the award. So today we will have the final Game of the Year for 2015... And then we will have our preliminary game of the year for 2016. Ooh. Ooh. What's our favorite game that came out in the last three months? Woohoo! So, do you want to, do you think we should start with, uh, 2015, the chronologically first one, even though more sure. final? Okay. So, sure. uh, let's just, I'm just gonna rip the band-aid off. Let's just get this over with, Jay. What was your number five game of 2015? My number five game, and Chris hates me for this, is Exploding Kittens. I still think it's a fun, be-silly-with-your-friends game. It's a nice, light, party-type game where, you know, all of the artwork is crazy and silly, and the theme of the game is, oh my god, the kittens are going to explode, and you don't want them to explode in your face, and yeah, it's just fun silliness. My perfect thing that Chris absolutely hates. Well, it is silly. Mm-hmm. I will grant you that. My number five, not on the opposite end of the weight spectrum, but a significant distance away, is uh, Signore. This is a Renaissance Euro, Renaissance era themed Euro game, where you are a uh, a family trying to you know build your family's prestige and make alliances in Renaissance Europe. It is a a what's your game. One of a couple of good ones that came out this year, uh, Dupon did, but just didn't didn't quite make it. Uh, Signore is a uh, a dice selection game. These seem to be hitting more lately. The kind of core mechanic is that a number of dice are rolled, and each uh, there's a, a clump of I think five different colors, and there's one die, I, if I recall correctly, for each player, and each of those dice, you know, when you pick them, it, depending on the color, it, it affects something, and the number affects where you can put it to choose an action on your player board. You can, some, you know, you can choose anything or higher, uh, and you can use a lower one, but then you have to pay to use it, and you have to immediately make strategic decisions in this. Every time you pick up a die, there are three different things you can do with it. You can do the action for that spot, which you know, might be getting money or sending someone on a mission. You can make an alliance and someone send someone off to another city. Or you can hire helpers. And the helpers don't do anything right away, but you cover up one of these on your board where you've got the six actions across the top. You have these rows underneath them. And when you put a helper on the row, now anytime you activate that row, you get the helpers too. But that is, uh, Signore, and I'll note that this is the, the spot that I gave the most thought to. There were a lot of good games in, in 2015, but I thought the ones that I, I picked rose above, but I, I really thought about whether what my number five should be, so I will note that my number six game would have been the Grizzled, or was the Grizzled, but so they didn't get to make it on the list. Poor the Grizzled. Mm. That's my number five game of 2015. What do you got, Jay? Alright, so my number four was the XCOM board game. 
This is a, a game based on the XCOM video games where aliens are invading the planet and you have to fight them off. This was particularly notable because, as correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't this not the the first like major app integration with a board game? It's the first major board game that required an app, strictly speaking. Right. Alchemists, which was pretty good in and of itself, that came out sooner. That doesn't strictly require an app, but it's miserable if you don't have it because you have to have like a. Actually, this is right. This is something we've seen later. It's a Euro game that requires a game master if you don't have the app. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. To handle the hidden information. Yeah. But so, yeah, that's that's what XCOM uses its app for. Is the app represents the aliens. And so one of the things I like it about it, it's it's a co-op game because you're all collectively fighting off the aliens. And one of the traditional, two of the traditional co-op problems that I've seen are number one, massive analysis paralysis, and number two, somebody just riding the board and just doing everything while everyone else just sits back and plays on their phones. And by having this timed app, you get rid of both of those because you can't spend the time to think about what you're figure out the perfect move. You have to go for something good enough. And, you know, everybody's doing their own thing. They don't have time to dictate what everyone, what other people are doing. So in that way, it's probably one of my favorite co-op games. Also, you have this theme of the aliens invading and being under heavy pressure. And the app really adds to that of you really do feel under pressure to time pressure to fight off the aliens. Yeah, XCOM, I, I thought this one was, was pretty good as well. I'm going to defer on my number four so that Jay can talk about it when it appears higher on his list. Okay. So then next up is my number three, which is Between Two Cities. This was Stonemaier Games. It's a tile placement game. So you all sit around in a circle, and between each player the two of you are building up a city of tiles. So you have two cities that you're working on simultaneously, one with a person to your right, one with a person to your left. And so you have to constantly negotiate with them to build your the best city. And then the, the way the scoring mechanic works, at the end of the game, you score based on the lowest performing of your two. So you can't just, you know, make one city your awesome, amazing city and the other your dump city and do well, because, you know, that's just helping out the guy next to you. You have to make both of your cities good. So, yeah, I quite like it. It's fairly straightforward uh, tile placement. So you get random tiles, you place them, and then there's also a drafting element of passing the tiles around. My number three for 2015 is Code Names. This is a, a word party game. The players divide into two teams. Each team has one player who is a, a spy master. They are giving clues. Everyone else on their team, and you, it's, it's better when you have at least six so that the two people who are trying to figure it out can talk to each other instead of just sitting there on their own. And, you have an array of words on the board, and for the most part, the words either represent agents of, of one team or agents of the other team, and you are trying to give clues to your teammates, a one-word clue 
to your teammates that will let them pick your agents but not the other side's agents. So you would say something like bug three and you're telling you're, the clue you're giving is bug and you're telling your teammates you think that there are three agents out there that work with that clue. And it's usually very easy if you just want to give a one-word clue, but you're never going to win if you are only trying to get one card at a time. It's much, much more difficult to come up with a good connecting thing between uh, a lot of different words, but it's done really well. It's everywhere now. I mean, like you can buy it in Target. Like Target, There is a Target-exclusive version of it, like uh, Codenames Undercover that's like the Not Safe for Work edition or something like that. <laughs> And and Codenames Pictures was released in, in 2016. But that is my number three game of 2015, Codenames. Alright, so my number two was the Game of Thrones card game second edition. This was one of Fantasy Flight's LCGs. It's As you can tell from the second edition, it's a reboot of the Game of Thrones card game. And it is a lot of fun. It's living card game so you you every month or three there's a new pack out that adds more cards available to it you you take all of the cards you build it yourself a deck you represent one of eight factions from the lannisters or uh the night's watch or whoever it's it's book lore based so it's all characters from the game of thrones books and you use it basically to try to amass power and conquer Westeros. And I, I think it's a really deep, complicated, fun game. If the L5R LCG that's coming out next year is anything as good, any, even close to good as this, I will be super excited. So yeah, Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, that's my number two. Okay, before I do my number two, I want to say, uh, yeah, Codenames is designed by... Vladek Vadel, and published by CGE, and you probably know him from much, much heavier games. And Signori, I said it was published by What's Your Game, but the designers are uh, Andrea Cervesio and Pierluca uh, Zizi. But anyhow, my number two game is Time Stories. Time Stories is a cooperative story-based game. It's episodic, and it is consumable, in that, not in the, like it's a legacy game where you destroy anything, but it's rough to play th- like to play through a scenario more than once. But that doesn't matter because it's amazing. Your group is flung back in time into different scenarios. The the one that comes with the game uh, is is like an old asylum, and then there's one that's in the 80s. That's the Marcy case, and then there's the one that's I think it's the 80s at least. Uh, then there's one that's a uh, a fantasy setting, a prophecy of dragons, there's Under the Mask, which is Egyptian, and it it just is really clever with the exploration and the and the investigation and the players really needing to try to solve things. It's got all this this great art and uh and and vibe that comes through from the the settings and I I just loving on story-driven things lately. So uh, my number two game for 2015, Time Stories, published by Space Cowboys, designed by Peggy Chassanet and Manuel Rizoy. 
What you, what you got? What's your what is your number one game of 2015? Uh, my number one game. I think the the best game of 2015 that I have played is Seven Wonders Duel. This is if you have played the original Seven Wonders, which was a multiplayer drafting game. This is taking that similar idea and turning it into a two-player game. It's Seven Wonders. It's based on the uh, ancient Seven Wonders of the world. So when you start, you have basically two... Now I don't remember if it was two or four that you have in, fr- you, you have in front of you. That those are the ones wonders you're working on building. And then it's, it's a drafting mecha- mechanic, but where it's with the base seven wonders, it's in your hand passing a chunk of cards around. This is a snake draft table draft where you deal the cards out into sort of depending on which age, a pyramid or an inverted pyramid or a different shape such that only some of them are going to be available at any given time. And some of them are even hidden until they are available for grab. But it uses the similar mechanics and iconography of Seven Wonders to, you on your turn, you pay, take a card, you have to be able to pay for it, or you have to have the resources that can afford it before you can take it. It has a couple ways to win. You can get a science... You'll never get a science victory, but you theoretically can get a science victory by collecting all of the science symbols. Uh, much more likely is you can get a military victory by... There's a tra- military track between the two players that you shove towards your opponent as you get military icons. And if you make it all the way, you win. But even if you don't make it all the way, you get points for that. But primarily you're going to win by reaching the end of the game and figuring out who has gotten the most victory points by getting good cards out of it. So yeah, that's my favorite game that I have played of 2015. Seven Wonders Duel from Repos, designed by Antoine Bauza and Bruno Cathala, was my number four. Just to add on to what Jay said, I'll say the, uh, the military and the science conditions, although you're right, it's very hard to yeah. win with them, they play. They can play a significant role in the late game, because if you are close to a science victory, or you are close to a military victory, your opponent cannot let you get another military card, or cannot let you get another science card, and so it can really constrain what sort of picks they can make out of the, you know, the array. Yeah. You're not going to win that way, but you can very much force your opponent to what cards they can pick. So instead of them being able to pick the best card for them, they have to hate draft to prevent you from winning. Yeah, and it can especially... I, it, it's amazing how significant the face-down cards can be. My my initial thought when I said, oh, well, some of them are face-down, face down, so you can't just you know AP out and try to hyper-analyze exactly what the right path is. But it, it also it, it makes some really interesting gameplay where you you're like, well, I want to get that one, but it'll open, but it's not that great, and it'll open up two brand new cards for my opponent, and those might be great, and I want I don't want to let yeah. them get that. That's uh, Seven Wonders Duel, Jay's number one and my number four game of the year for 2015. My number one game of the year is Pandemic Legacy. 
we had a whole episode about Pandemic Legacy. I don't know how much there is to say about the obvious greatness of, of Pandemic Legacy that has not been said before. It works on the base core mechanic of uh, Matt Leacock's Pandemic, which is certainly not the original cooperative game, but man, it feels like it. It feels yeah. like like Pandemic really you know set the stage for like everything cooperative that has come after it, or, or not everything, but like a significant chunk of it. In this case, literally, Pandemic Legacy is a legacy game. So it, the, the base is by Matt Leacock, but then the additional parts are by uh, Rob Davo. And this lets the players go through the course of a year. It's technically Pandemic Legacy year one or season one or something like that. And there is going to be a two. <laughs> if you me. It's a legacy game, and so you you go through, and when bad things like your uh, when bad things happen on the board, there are outbreaks. You put stickers on, and you can make make permanent changes to the boards and to some aspects of the rules and to your characters. And it was just great. I, I mean, I I played Pandemic Legacy over the course of four weekends, and like there was never a time as we played, you know, 16 games of Pandemic in a row, Pandemic Legacy in a row, that I was like, oh man, man, can we like play something else here just to break it up? We just 16 games straight through with that group, so it was fantastic, and it is by by a lot my favorite game of 2015. There we go. So. To set the table for the 2015 Game of the Year, let's skip back to the end of 2015 where we did our preliminary Game of the Year. At that point in time, there was a, a tie for preliminary Game of the Year, Seven Wonders Duel between two cities. This is the first time we had a tie, and we actually had two ties, because there was then a tie for second runner-up between Time Stories and Dead Drop, and we just went ahead and called it a tie. There was no tiebreaker procedure in place. I did contemplate a tiebreaker of whichever one I like better wins. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got to go with something. Uh, <laughs> so this year, I'm happy to announce that our Strange Assembly 2015 Game of the Year is Pandemic Legacy! Yay! Like everyone else's Game of the Year. <laughs> hey! <laughs> the runner-up was Seven Wonders Duel. And after that was in quick succession, just uh, there's a few more that were not that far out of the ballpark, were Codenames, Time Stories, A Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, and uh, Signore. But Pandemic Legacy just obliterated the competition. It infected it all with a virus and... <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a beatdown. Yeah. I, I think that was the most clear-cut selection that we have have had since maybe the first one, which was when Viticulture was our preliminary game of the year for mm-hmm. 2013. So that's 2015. That's that's where like the last people on the planet to hand out a 2015 game of the year award. But there we go. 2015 game of the year, Pandemic Legacy. So, on to 2016. Jay, what's your number five? My number five is sure to be appearing later in this podcast. For it is higher up on your list. Ooh. My number five is the Arkham Horror LCG, 
because we got to have at least one, you know, on, yeah. on each list. So Arkham Horror is shockingly, shockingly a cooperative game where you, you the, the players, <laughs> are taking on the role of investigators looking into creepy, possibly Cthulhu-related things. It is, it is from Fantasy... not, though. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> it is from Fantasy Light Flight. It is part of their Arkham Horror Files line, so-called, because, I, I mean, really, their original game was Arkham Horror, the board game. This game, like Arkham Horror, is set in a a small town atmosphere. You've got, like, some of these games, like Mansions of Madness, you're just mostly in one very confined location. You've got, like, Eldritch Horror that's jumping all around the world. Arkham Horror is... It is an LCG. Uh, right now, all that has come out is the base set. And this is like uh, the Lord of the Rings LCG, and that it, right, that it is cooperative, but this is played as a campaign where you create a deck with significant restrictions on it at the beginning of the campaign, and then after every scenario, you gain some amount of experience, depending on how well you did, and you can then add cards to your deck, possibly better cards, you know, cards that are better than what you were allowed to start with. It may be a brand new card, like, hey, now you can have a shotgun, not just a pistol, because that's like a level four card. Or it may be a a better version of the same card. It'll be the exact same card, but it's one level higher and it costs one less. Or now it's it's fast, so it doesn't take up an action. But your your deck is not just getting better. One of the hallmarks of this is that there are bad cards in your deck. Your character has certain abilities and certain statistics, and they give you a default positive item that goes in your deck, but you also get an automatic character-specific weakness, as well as a random basic weakness, and every time you draw one of these things, something bad happens. Some perhaps aggravating, perhaps catastrophic, depending on the circumstance. The investigators in the base game, you've got the by-the-book cop, his weakness is cover-up. You know, there was some cover-up that he had participated in. There's, There's somebody who has, like, hospital bills. Abandoned and Alone is the Urchins thing. And you, you see these characters recurring from the other Arkham Horror Files thing. As a game, it's really fun. There's the possibility of playing through the campaigns repeatedly. In fact, there's really the expectation that you're going to play through the campaigns repeatedly. You As you go through, you'll write down different things about how the scenario happened. Like, what happened to your house? Did this NPC live or die? Did you figure this out? Did you solve that? And then there will be later scenarios where things will change about those later scenarios based on what happened in the early one. As it right, if a location is destroyed, it will not be there in the later one. It won't just it won't be a place where you're able to go. The reason why this is number five on my list rather than higher uh, is twofold. One is that as fun as it is, it very much playing in the same space as a game that's higher on my list, which reduces my motivation to seek it out. Maybe that's fair, maybe that's not, but you know, that's just how it is. The other thing is that it you really do need to be able to I think to play through it more than once to, for lack of a better term, get your money out of it. Right? 
It is an LCG, so if you buy each pack as you get it, the, the Dunwich Legacy will come out. That's a deluxe expansion. Then there will be a six Mythos pack cycle that will come out. So you'll, it looks like you'll, I'm, we're not sure, but maybe you'll have like a nine session campaign. But if you're actually paying retail, you're, you're popping 120 for that. And if you're doing the LCG thing at, and dropping like that, that's one thing. But right, if you're playing Star Wars or you're playing a Game of Thrones, right, you expect that you get new cards, you go back, you revisit your deck, you do more. When they release new cards for investigators in later Mythos packs, at some point, you know, don't you want to to go back and rebuild your deck and try again, see if you can get a better result, right? There's There's four difficulty levels. There's all sorts of different success levels in in the different campaigns, depending on whether or not you completely face-planted or somehow actually managed to succeed really well. And you are probably pretty unlikely to get a strong success if you have not bought uh, like an additional core set or, or more cards in order to be able to really enhance your deck. Like You literally, in order for you as a player to make exactly the deck that you want, you have to buy everything. It's not a cooperative game where, like, you can buy one copy and then everybody plays. I mean, you can, but that is going to significantly reduce what you can do with the decks. And that, you're going to have to play it on a lower difficulty level if you, you want to be able to succeed. And then, again, like, it seems like you'd want to try again, either, like, let's make it harder, or, okay, we got a, we failed. Like, yeah, like I played through the starting campaign. Yeah, we lost. Like, we just hard lost. (laughs) Not we barely succeeded or something. We just got crushed. So there's a lot good there. But there are, are definite constraints on the game. And, and I'm, and I'm okay with some constraints. Like, right, I just, my, for 2015, my, my number two and number one is a game that you, my number one is a game that you drop your money on, you play a campaign, and then it is done forever. But reality kind of intrudes. Anyhow, that was way too long spent talking about <laughs> my number five, Arkham. Well, it, one of the things with this, right, is like the 2015 games we've talked about a lot. I've never talked about Arkham Horror card game. Sure. On the thing, so I, so sorry about that, Jay. Anyhow, so that is, is Arkham Horror, the card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Alright, so my number four for 2016 is also by Fantasy Flight Games. That's Star Wars Rebellion. This is two-player game of Star Wars. One player plays the Evil Empire. The other player plays the Rebel Alliance trying to get away and rally support. It's a very asymmetric game. The Empire is trying to find the Rebels' hidden base and destroy it. Just kill all the Rebels that are there. Meanwhile, the Rebellion is trying to garner support amongst the people of the galaxy such that the galaxy will rise up in rebellion around it. This is all done. It's played on a big board that's a map of the galaxy with all sorts of different planets. So the rebels at the start of the game will secretly pick a planet where their rebel base is hidden. As the game progresses, the Empire will have a chance to probe different systems to figure out if where the where they are there's 
tons of little miniatures that represent everything from TIE fighters and foot troopers all the way up to Death Star and second Death Star and there's Star Destroyers and all, all sorts of different ships and you move them around the galaxy fighting battles and uh, trying to send AT-ATs down to destroy the Rebel base. Meanwhile, the biggest focus of it is you have some number of heroes or villains, depending on which side it is. So, like, you might have Luke and Obi-Wan or Vader and Boba Fett, and they're able to, to undertake missions to help your side find victory. Or they could just build a Death Star and try to blow up some planets, because that's fun, too. So, yeah, it's a very fun game. It's very big. It's complicated and time-consuming. So I haven't played it a huge huge amount of times, but it's it's still quite a bit of fun. That's my number four for, tw- for 2016 in Star Wars Rebellion by Fantasy Flight. My number four is Tyrants of the Underdark. This is a Dungeons & Dragons branded game, but it is published by Gale Force 9, not Wizards of the, the Coast. This is a, a deck-building game, and it is a deck-building game where everybody is a different drow house, and you have a board. It's an area control where... Your cards are constantly not only generating resources that let you buy more cards to put into the deck, but are also sending your minions out across the board to take control of areas or assassinating, spying, that sort of stuff on the the other side. I will admit that I looked at it more closely initially because it had that Dungeons & Dragons license. It doesn't really hit a Dungeons and Dragons feel that much. I mean, it's it's set there, but right, it's not a party of adventurers. It's a bunch of houses fighting. You could probably have almost exactly the same gameplay with some sort of awful, you know, Renaissance European theme. <laughs> uh, do Game of Thrones theme. It's the houses of Westeros fighting. You could, except. I hear that someone other than Gale Force 9 has that license. But yes, you could you could absolutely do this. You could absolutely do a reskin of this game with Game of Thrones. But it it works really well. It's it's fun. I still have a a fondness for deck building games, especially when they are really doing something more new and different. So that is Tyrants of the Underdark from Gale Force 9 designed by Peter Lee, Rodney Thompson, and Andrew Veen. All right. I seem to recall you liking my number three better, so I'll let you talk about it whenever we get around to it. Yeah, I am just stepping all over your toes on <laughs> on this list. My number three is Terraforming Mars from uh, Stronghold Games, designed by Jacob Frixelius. This is a game where everyone is a corporation, and you are collectively trying to terraform Mars so that it is habitable. You are raising the temperature, you are increasing the oxygen content in the atmosphere, you're trying to get some water on the surface. But let's be clear here, this is in no way, way, shape, or form a cooperative game. By the end of the game, Mars is going to be terraformed. The question is, which company will be in the best position, having successfully completed projects, having been rewarded for 
you know, achieving these milestones by raising the temperature and, and such. It is really, it is not a particularly complicated game. I mean, it's, it's medium weight, but it is, it is not a, a heavy euro. It's something you can get into much more quickly, but you get an initial, initial batch of cards and then at the end of every turn, you get another batch of cards. You can do a draft, but that drastically increases the length of the game when you draft cards at the end of every single turn. And then you decide which of the ones that you are getting you're actually going to keep because you have to pay to keep them. And so you kind of have to balance how many you're going to pay, how many you're going to... Because, you know, the more you pay to keep cards, the less you have to use to play cards. There are, unsurprisingly, a variety of different resources that you you balance in this. Uh, there's different end-of-game scoring that, by default, doesn't happen, but different players can activate. So there's trying to figure out which which ones you're confident that you're winning it and confident enough that you pay in to activate it. Because I'll tell you, there's nothing quite so painful as paying to activate an end-of-game scoring thing and then having somebody else get it. It works pretty smoothly. It does a lot of, of really cool, fun things. My favorite things are, are things like the project is knock one of the moons of Mars out of orbit to smash it on the ground and get water and raise the surface temperature. The, the big flashy ones are the the most fun, but it's it's mostly just a really nifty Euro. That is Terraforming Mars from Stronghold Games. Alright, so my number two pick for 2016 is Secret Hitler. This is a hidden role, hidden information game. The conceit of it is you are the 19, uh, 1930s German government and your goal is to enact policy. Ideally, you want to enact enough liberal policy that the liberals win, they win the day. But secretly, some number, depending on the player count, of the your members are actually fascists, and they want fascist policies to get enacted. And then one of those fascists all happens to be Hitler. Secretly. No one, no one knows. Well, so... The fascists know who the other fascists are, except Hitler. Hitler doesn't know who anyone else is. The fascists do know who Hitler is. As the game progresses, each round, somebody is the president and somebody is the chancellor. And there's room for voting on the chancellor. That's how you interact and figure it out. But once you figure out who's the president and who's the chancellor, the president looks at a couple policy cards, strips some out, hands some over to the chancellor, the Chancellor then picks a policy to enact. They either pick a liberal or a fascist. And basically, if enough liberal policies get passed, the liberals win. But if too many fascist policies get passed, the fascists get to win. But also, as fascist policies start getting enacted, actions start becoming available. So, like, with a couple fascist policies, the president can go and peek and find out somebody else's party affiliation. Or with a few more, the president can kill somebody. <laughs> In fact, if you happen to kill Hitler, the liberals win. So, yeah, it's it's a fun hidden information arguing game where you don't know until the end who's a liberal, who's a fascist, who's trying to get things done. and It's great fun. It's secret Hitler. Okay, 
my number two game of 2016, and at this point, if you if you're paying attention, necessarily one of the uh, the prior <laughs> appearances on Jay's List is Scythe. This is designed by Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games, and this is a worker placement uh, economic engine sort of game. It's set in this alternate history Eastern Europe where there are poor peasants beneath the shadow of of these towering mechs, but like, you know, diesel mechs kind of stuff. And you uh, have a, a board, and every turn, right, you're, you're moving around and doing an action selection. You have these singled out, but you it is really heavily about, about planning out exactly what your actions are going to be as you move your people and your mechs around on the board to get control of hexes, to pick up the resources off of those hexes. As you, you go further on, you unlock more parts of your board so your actions get cheaper and the benefits get bigger. I still think my favorite thing, again, I, just going back to the story thing, my favorite thing is that there are the encounter cards, and you can pull these encounter cards, and they've got a, a vignette, and you get to pick one of, one of the options. So my far and away, I don't know if it's the best faction or anything, but my favorite faction is the play is, because there are different faction powers, is the one that lets you choose two of the three options there, because it really incentivizes me mechanically to go do what's my favorite part of the game anyway. (laughs) What appeals to to you about Scythe, Jay? Who doesn't like giant mechs going and fighting each other? I mean, come on. And they're like steampunk mechs. But yeah, on top of that, I think it's got really good mechanics. As you said, I also like the little story vignettes where you pick what you're going to do in reaction to things that are going on. And It's one of those games where there's a whole lot of little mechanics that I like and all together. That was Jay's number five and my number two, Scythe. So what is your number one game so far of 2016, Jay? So my number one pick for 2016, and it's going to be hard to displace this next year because I foresee myself me playing a lot of it this next year, is Star Wars Destiny. This is Fantasy Flight's re-entry into the collectible card game market. We've mentioned several of their LCGs, but they're going back to the collectible for this. As you can probably guess from the title, it's Star Wars themed. You bring a team of heroes or villains... And you can mix and match. So you can have like Darth Vader ha- hanging out with Jabba the Hutt if you really want, or Luke can hang out with Rey, or Poe Dameron with Padme Amidala. There's plenty of ma- matchups, and I mean, just the base set is all that's been released right now. There's going to be expansions, there's going to be more characters. Anyway, you bring your team of heroes or villains, and they start in play. Also, it's not just a card game, it's a card and dice game. The heroes start with one or two dice assigned to them. And these are custom dice. Each character has their own die. They have different symbols on them. You roll the dice to see what they do. Sometimes you're going to do range damage. Han's going to shoot somebody. Sometimes you can do melee damage. Vader's going to stab someone with his lightsaber. Or you've got other effects. You can gain resources. You can make your opponent discard cards. 
or there's this special thing where a lot of the cards have their own special effect they do, like Kylo Ren can mess with his opponent's mind with his special ability. He picks a card out of their hand, and he does damage based on the cost of that card. Yeah, it is just a fun, really well done, really streamlined game. You can tell they spent a lot of care into designing the things. For instance, one of the things that I, I like that they have commented on is they've noticed one of the things that often slows card games down is things effects like tutors or things where you have to shuffle the deck again. So they've intentionally made it that once the game is going, you don't have to shuffle your deck anymore. And then it's just fun. It's fun to, like, take Django Fett and take all of the dice, and you've given maybe you've given him a flamethrower and a blaster. It's time to activate him, so you pick up all these dice and you roll them and you see what you're going to do. So yeah, I have been having a lot of fun with this game. I expect to have a lot more fun in the coming years as more sets are released and more cards come out. So yeah, that's my number one pick for the year, Star Wars Destiny by Fantasy Flight. Okay. My number one and Jay's number three is another Fantasy Flight Games entry, Mansions of Madness. And this is what I was referring to when I said that there was another game higher on my list that felt an awful lot like Arkham Horror, but that I liked better. This is specifically Mansions of Madness uh, Second Editions. Mansions of Madness is again uh, you're you know the investigators in the the Cthulhu Mythos setting. You mentioned XCOM in, in 2015. Like XCOM, Mansions of Madness Second Edition relies on an app, and thank God. Yeah. You replaced a player who had to, just their entire game was putting stuff out for the other players and controlling the monsters. And it, mm. this sort of game feels much better as a fully cooperative game. It's not like Imperial Assault where you can have like the Empire versus the, the heroes, you know, and somebody's trying to win. Or it's, you know, like your, who am I? I'm the king in yellow. I, I don't know. The addition of the app lets it be fully cooperative because the app it gives you a little story snippet. It's got some sounds going. When you open a new door, it tells you what tiles to put out for the rooms that you found. Whenever there's a, a mythos effect, it lets you randomize what that's going to be and who it's going to affect. It'll, you know, it'll be like, any investigator in the library is affected by this mythos effect. Any investigator in darkness, any investigator outsider. I mean, most of them are just, you know, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah or one specific person, but you also, you tell it which investigators you are, and sometimes it'll call you out by name. Like, oh, you know, this specific investigator, you know, Wendy. Tripped and fell. So-and-so, you twisted your ankle. It's usually more like you were walking along the hallway, and, you know, you felt the floor start to, to wave, and so you tripped and may have injured yourself. You know, test agility, say, to avoid tripping. When you do attacks, it'll give you different little flavor descriptions, and those the flavor descriptions get repetitive, but mechanically, they're not always the same. Like, if you're swinging a baseball bat at a cultist, most of the time you're going to be rolling strength, but not every time. Sometimes it'll be like you go to swing the bat, and they do something horrific, and test willpower to maintain your composure as you crush their head in. 
and sometimes your different successes can mean different things. But there's just this this great atmosphere and and vibe to it. I just really enjoy playing it. And there's also a several different sorts of feels that you can get from the the different scenarios. I can't wait for them to add more. I believe that they are going to be adding more scenarios via DLC in addition to, you know, whenever they come out with a new expansion with new tiles and figures, they will add more scenarios to the to the app that require that, right? Because, you know, they, they do want you to actually go buy the expansions. So what makes you uh, attracted to Mansions of Madness, Jay? First off, I like the Cthulhu stuff. Second off, like Imperial Assault, I really like these sort of tile-based board miniature, whatever you want to call it, type things. And then, yeah, as you said, it really adds the flavor in a fun way. Because you have the app going, when you start the game, you've only got a little bit. You just see a couple of tiles, and then as you explore, you're like, oh... Over here is the dining room, so let's go find the dining room and put it in. And over here is the living room. Let's go find the living room and put it here and put Cthulhu in it, because, hey, that's where Cthulhu's hanging out. (laughs) Yeah, I I really like that it adds a sense of atmosphere. And, again, my worries with co-op games is that you'll have people just telling other people what to do. And something about this... With the app, you just don't quite have that in the same way. You, My experience has been more, you know, I'm going to do this and, okay, well, I'm going to do that and, you know, coordinate rather than dictate. Earlier you talked about two potential issues of co-op games. One, one is the alpha gamer yeah, and the other one is it being too puzzly. This doesn't strike at that much mechanically as much as XCOM does. No. Thematically, it has some of that, but it does have the... Turning it into too much of a puzzle is addressed because, yeah, I mean, like, you just don't know what's going to be coming up. Part of it is investigation and exploration, so there, there is no min-maxed puzzle you can solve. Right. I, I don't know if there's anything, strictly speaking, that shuts down an alpha gamer problem. If, like, there's just one player ordering everyone else around. You do this, and then you do that, and then we'll go here, and you... And and you, for the missions, I mean, at some point for the, like, especially on the harder things, like, you've got to coordinate or you're yeah. in trouble. You don't... No, yeah. In line with these things, this is not a cooperative game that you should expect you to sit down and win. I mean, you'll do that on the introductory scenario, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, expect to get your brain eaten. A lot. <laughs> so... Repeatedly. Yeah. But that is, at the moment, my number one game of 2016, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. All right, so for our The Strange Assembly preliminary game of the year for 2016, you might think, well, for 2015, Jay had Seven Wonders first, and Chris had Pandemic Legacy first, and then Pandemic Legacy and Seven Wonders ended up being the top two games, so... Does that mean that Mansions of Madness and Star Wars Destiny will be the number one and two games of 2016? If it doesn't, I'm going to demand an electoral college uh, revote and um, get some of those guys to change their mind. Well, that you may have an issue, Jay, because um, 
Neither of those is our preliminary game of the year. The preliminary game of the year for 2016 is Terraforming Mars. Which I, I realized that I actually kind of tipped a little bit earlier when I mentioned how Bonacore will want to publicize anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, preliminary game of the year for 2016, Terraforming Mars. First runner-up was Mansions of Madness. Second runner-up was Star Wars Destiny. It's interesting with Star Wars Destiny because I mean, this is a game I've mentioned on this. My plan is to not touch Star Wars Destiny because I just cannot get into a collectible thing. Like, I just no. can't. Yeah. So Star Wars Destiny did not get a lot of votes, but every single person who voted for it put it in first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a year from now, when your kid is coming with you to Target and the, it's for sale in Target, you're going to be playing it too because you'll have no choice because your kid will want it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate to break that to you. Sorry. We'll see. I guess that's better than Pokemon, right? So, mm. my eldest kid is is six at the moment. Is this playable by a six year old? I mean, for very definitions of playable. No, no, you know what? It, it's it's not because there's too much reading of cards. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to be playable for a six year old at all. No. Yeah. You but could you could get it and you know roll dice at each other and you know yeah. Oh, I already play X-Wing like that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, I'm good on that front. So, very close to those was Scythe. There was a step down to have uh, Arkham Horror and Star Wars Rebellion, and then that's... I think those are the sort of noteworthy top, top-tier top things so far. I think, yeah, for, for both years, there were about six that stood above the rest. Unsurprisingly, I mean, Terraforming Mars did not dominate in the way that pandemic legacy did although it's a more compact list for 2016 possibly just because people have not had as much opportunity to to play as many different things and and spread out the votes well before i do the wrap up jay any final thoughts for 2016 you you have no but i'm gonna go ahead and call our preliminary preliminary 2017 game of the year is l5r um that's that's probably that's probably pretty safe. Yeah. I mean it it does depend on the voter composition. Sure, yeah. But yes, it's probably unfair in that you know you're we're kind of like prejudging things based on a branding, but yeah, I mean right yeah. like L, like the L5R LCGs like it's got to be the 2017 game of the year, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Legend of the I mean, Five Rings. We'll see yeah, everybody in Gen Con. <laughs> it's Legend of the Five Rings, and it's Fantasy Flight. And I think you can tell from both of our lists, we both really like Fantasy Flight. So <laughs> they do some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. I, I like plenty of other places too, but yeah, they. Uh, I mean, it helps that they got Star Wars. That doesn't yeah. help. But like, but like the 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 Mansions of Madness, Arkham Horror stuff. I mean, that's all there is. They're not like that's a that's public domain, right? Like anybody can make a Cthulhu game. Yeah. They just make the best Cthulhu games. I don't, you know, I don't even like Cthulhu. Like, I, I don't <laughs> dislike it, but it's like it's not a thing for me. Star Wars, I'll admit, I'm a sucker for. But man, they just do a really good job with those. So uh, that's it for. 2016. I I don't anticipate there being another episode coming out this year because 
with the time when you're listening to this, Christmas is probably like in four days or something, uh, depending on how long it takes me to edit it. So, mm-hmm. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, all of that. Uh, to recap, the 2015 Game of the Year, Pandemic Legacy, runner-up Seven Wonders Duel, the 2016 Preliminary Game of the Year, Terraforming Mars, runner-up Mansions of Madness, and second runners-up, Codenames and Star Wars Destiny. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web. We're www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there. You can also subscribe on iTunes or in the Google Play Store. Uh, If you're a fan of the show, we always appreciate it if you leave a rating in one of those places or write a review that can help other people find the podcast. You can find us on the usual social media. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. I always like to hear from you. My email address is Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. I'll lay down the beatbox so you can do your wrap-up. There, that's the widest beatbox imaginable. I hate you so much, Jay. (laughs) I know.